Good morning. You will notice Craig is not here. Uh, he had, Tayson was diagnosed with COVID, so he was quarantined for 10 days. They went to get rechecked, and Tyler has it. So he is in again, but he assures me that he'll be back by next, uh, this week, probably by Wednesday night, if not Sunday. We're hoping that everything goes well. We're just glad you're here. I know Craig and I share a lot of things in common, but one thing we share for sure is we both have a little attention deficit disorder. He's going ballistic at home. Pray for Jamie. And pray for the children. Because he's called me about every day, and you can tell he's about to go bananas. He's like a monkey in a cage. But we love him, right? So you pray for him. I'm going to tell you, our ministry staff, we are here for you we will do whatever we can to meet a spiritual need that you may have. But from time to time, like everyone, even we get distracted, right? We lose our perspective. We lose a focus. There was a, like a pastor and one of his elders. Let me, let me back this up. There was a, um, there was a guy, uh, a pastor and one of his elders, like Craig and Steve, right? Or, or, or Spencer. And they're putting up a sign near a bridge. And it simply just read, stop, turn around, the end is near. Well, about that time, a guy in, a, in that red car came by, and he, and he rolled out his window, and he's screaming at them. You are a bunch of religious nuts. Leave us all alone. And after he said that, leaving with one of his uh, you know, universal finger gestures that we all know, uh, after that, there was a loud screech of the tires, and then a smash, and then a splash. And Craig looked at Steve and said, do you think we should have just said the bridge is out? <laughs> Sometimes we jump to conclusions without thinking. Sometimes we all get a little bit distracted without really thinking about it. Life happens. And in this culture of disease and all these things that we just prayed about, you and I have to be intentional. Too often we allow the culture uh, to influence our thinking versus us influencing the culture. We allow the culture to impact our, our, our way of life, our, our ministry. Our, our, we, we tend to overreact to, to media things and all kinds of stuff. And Instead, the Bible says that you and I, like salt and light, we are to influence the culture with our biblical worldview. Distractions are dangerous. And Satan wants to distract all of us. He'll do whatever he can to disrupt us and tear us apart and get us off our focus. You've heard Pastor say many times, be intentional about our time with Jesus, not just weekly, not just once in a while, but every day. Life is about making God the priority and the focus of our lives. Our families, our children, our marriages, and yes, even the church. It's easy to get distracted and, and even forget why we're doing ministry. Simply, we are to love God and love people. Can you imagine for just a moment what life would be like? What it would be like if we were so unified as a church and we were so in tune with the Holy Spirit 
that its influence would be irresistible. That the church would be filled to the brim and we would have to go to three and four services because there's something about you and us and me that is so irresistible that people have to know, what do you have that I don't have? G.K. Chesterton once said, we do not want, as the newspapers say, a church that will move with the world. We want a church that will move the world. That is what happened with that first century church. They were literally moving the world. They were making a difference. They were having an impact on their society, and they were making an unforgettable impression on everyone around them. And the news began to spread, and the Bible says, and the church, they were added, how much? Daily. They did not go blended into the masses, unnoticed. They took a bold stand for Christ. They took a stand for their faith. We do not need to assume it was somehow easier for them back then than it is for us today. You know, humanity hasn't changed a whole lot over the centuries and the millennia because we're all sinful nature. We're all sinful people by nature. We haven't changed that much. Our, our vices, our desires, our rebellion, our resistance to God have been evident since the beginning of time, even back to the Garden of Eden. It's been evident. And it's evident in our day as well. Our task is no more difficult than theirs was. Our task is no less important than theirs was. Our task is no different than theirs was. The church in every age has been called to be salt and light. The church in every age has been called to the same mission, to change the environment in which we are introduced. But I, I wonder sometimes, and I get worried about the, the nature of the church and its lack of impact. Why? And when I mean church, I don't mean the building and the address. I mean us as a church. We've allowed uh, to be scared to say anything out of ridicule. or We're so busy in our lives that we just don't think about others. Did the gospel of Christ have more power back then? And it's maybe fizzled out over the centuries? That it's gotten a little bit weaker every generation of people, they say? It's gotten a little bit weaker? The church has grown a little smaller every generation? No. The difference, I think, between the first century church and us is that they understood their purpose and were completely convinced of their purpose. They were boldly committed to making and pursuing Christ as their purpose. I wonder sometimes, what is our purpose? What are we focused on? And the first century church did not allow the, in, the, the uh, influence of the culture to affect them. They infected the culture and affected the culture. They were convinced that for their lives to count and not be in vain, that they, they had to have a purpose with their walk would seem to be a reckless abandon and a holy boldness. If you and I want to live an extraordinary life, if we're going to make a massive change, if the church is all that God wants it to be, we're going to have to influence our world and our culture. We're going to have to abandon with reckless the worldly things that we have around us and live with a holy boldness. 
And I believe more than anything, it's just Satan distracting us, keeps us busy. We've lost our priorities. Our schedules have changed. Our lives have changed. Our families have changed, but we've allowed the change. See, for the church to move the world, to affect positive God-honoring change in people's lives, we have got to be convinced without a shadow of a doubt of God's purpose and be committed to bold living. For our ministry not to be empty or ineffective, it requires several elements. And if you're taking notes, here you go. If you want to make a difference and you want our life not to be empty or to be ineffective, you're going to have to do these things. And the first one is this. We need Christians that will leave an impression. A couple of weeks ago, I was, I'm scared of any doctor, but I'm especially scared of the dentist. And I had to go to the dentist, and this didn't happen this time. I had another procedure done. But once in a while, you go and they make these impressions, right? And they stick this gum-like stuff right up your face. And then they pull it down like Play-Doh, right? <laughs> Scrap it down, right? And they make this impression of your teeth. There's only one you. No one else has your bite mark. No one else has your fingerprint. No one else has your heartbeat. No one else is like you. Aren't you glad that no one else is like me? And further than that, aren't you really glad that no one else is like Craig? Amen? He is one of a kind. Speaking of molds, when they made him, they tore that cast apart, right? I said, no, no, we're not doing that again. Make an impression where you live. It's an impression of our mouth that it shows you. Make an impression where you live. Don't do the same things the world's doing. Don't make the same choices, the same options. That the line between the saved and the unsaved is, is minute. Make an impression. And, and I'm not saying as Christians that we need to stand on top of ladders in our neighborhood and preach to the masses. Or, or that we need to put signs in our yard or crosses on the front of the house. And all that stuff's fine. But we do it by what we do. Not always by what we say. Make an impression. You know, part of the value of 1 Thessalonians, where we're going to be today, is the insight that it gives us into Paul's pastoral heart. And in his writings, more perhaps than anywhere else in his letters, he unveils his mind and he expresses his emotions and he bears his soul. And you and I get to see a little bit of it. If you serve the Lord in his church, you'll be touched and challenged by what the Apostle Paul writes here in 1 Thessalonians. And just because this is something I do, this is okay, it's not good, it's not different, it's not bad, but I've always done this in 30 years, so I'm asking you to stand with me as we read God's Word together. You remember yourselves, no, dear brothers and sisters, that our visit to you was not a failure. You know how badly we had been treated at Philippi just before we came to you and how much we suffered there. Yet our God gave us the courage to declare the good news to you boldly in spite of great opposition. So you can see we were not preaching with any deceit or impure motives or trickery. For we speak as messengers approved by God 
to be entrusted with the good news. Our purpose is to please God, not people. He alone examines the motives of our hearts. Never once did we try to win you with flattery, as you well know. And God is our witness that we were not pretending to be your friends just to get your money. As for the human praise, we have never sought it from you or anyone else. Let's pray. God, in these few moments that we have together, would you just open our hearts and minds uh, to your word? Uh, help us to understand what kind of influence we are to make in our life. And we give you all the praise in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. The first thing that I notice when I read that scripture, Paul makes it clear, we're not coming to you in vain. In other words, their ministry wasn't a failure. His enemies might say that he had to leave Philippi under the, the cover of darkness to escape with his life. They, they, they might have said, see, he really didn't care about you. He started this church and then he left. His work means nothing here. Sometimes I wonder if the they are not supported and encouraged by Satan to be the naysayers. They're in every culture, everywhere. But Paul reminds them uh, that his believers, that his ministry mattered, that it made a difference in the city of Thessalonica and the surrounding community. To be what God wants you and I to be, God wants us to stay focused. Distractions are just one of Satan's many weapons that can lead us down a path where we do not want to go. At the end of the chapter, Paul tells the church in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, he said, after all, what gives us hope and joy? What will be our proud reward and crown as we stand before our Lord Jesus when he returns? It is you. Yes, you are our pride and joy. I'm telling you, as a ministry staff, our efforts are not for ourselves, it is for you. You are our pride and joy. You are the reflection of the ministry here. What you do makes a difference. What you don't do makes a difference. But if you and I are going to move the world, it begins with one life, one family, and one community at a time. It is the idea that Craig shared about the invest and invite. It means that we are unashamed, committed to share the gospel in all that we do. It should be a part of our DNA. Everything we do from the time we get up in the morning till we rest at night is about how can we minister to others? How can I make and leave an impression? That's how we influence the culture. Paul said, it's not in vain. Our time is not wasted when people are saved. I hear the, the, the skeptics why, why is church even a matter? That's something that happened centuries ago. There's no relevance in the church today. You know, when one person gets saved and baptized, it makes a difference and it's worth it. If one family can come together and, and rehabilitate together, that's worth it. Whatever we do as a church, it is worth it. Our efforts are worth it. Our time is not wasted when we help people mature in Christ actively share their faith when they're involved in small groups. Our time is not wasted when we're working with children or students. But people's lives are changed through faithful teaching and living out of God's Word. You see, you got to go back a little bit to the story right before they entered Thessalonica, where he wrote Thessalonians. 
They had just, he and uh, Silas had just been to, uh, can you imagine being Paul's friend, Silas? Paul's like, Silas, come with me. We're going to go minister to town to town. And by the way, we'll probably be running for our lives most of the time. We're probably going to get beaten a lot. Why don't you come be with me? Hey, Les, I'm going to go and we're going to minister and we're going to go to Lexington and Cynthia and Falmouth and work our way up. And, and that's what we're going to do. And by the way, every time we go, they're, they're going to beat you to death. Not to death, but they're going to beat you. You're going to feel like you had died. You ready to go? I don't know if I'd be so willing to go. But Silas either is crazy or he's called. And I actually think you have to be both when you're called. And we are all called to serve God. But they had suffered and been shamefully treated. They were willing to declare the gospel to the people in that town. And the people in Philippi, they drugged them before the courts. And there was no trial. They just admitted them guilty on the spot. And they tore off their clothes, and they beat them with these rods and their, their bare backs, and they beat them. And then they took them to the inner dungeon, and they, they threw their, their feet in stocks so they couldn't move. Paul was so mad that when the jailer came to let him go, he said, I'm not leaving. What? He stayed there. I mean, maybe he liked the, the, the position he was in. I don't know. Uh, finally, they did leave. But Paul was mad because the, as a Roman citizen, they had broken the law and stripping and beating them and without a trial. And, and it goes to show the pain, the pain that Paul felt, not just physically, but emotionally. If you're going to share Christ, it's going to affect you physically, emotionally, financially, spiritually, and every way you could imagine. Because whenever we do something for God, there's an antithesis called Satan who will come after us. Paul was not a criminal to have these insults hurled at him on forms of other humiliation. But being released from Philippi, they then traveled to the next city. And as they entered the city, the, the cuts on their backs were still pretty sore to the touch. And it wasn't long before, guess what? They were right back at it preaching again. The very same thing they got in trouble with in, in Philippi, they're now doing it in Thessalonica, and it's the same story. He said, you know, it's a privilege to preach the gospel. And if I'm being attacked, that means I'm just doing something great for God. Paul believed that the Philippians' reaction was a sure indicator that he and his friends were preaching the truth. Confident and bold sharing of Christ does not lead to popularity. It leads to conflict that requires courage and boldness. Sharing Christ will not make you popular in your neighborhood association. Sharing Christ will not make you popular with your work friends at the water cooler in the morning when they talk about the big games of the NFL or whatever is going on because they're so shallow that no one wants to get beyond the surface. And sometimes I wonder if you and I just allow it to happen because we're afraid to engage the culture. To be honest, I'm challenged by this. I'm convicted by it. I read this account of Paul and Silas, and after taking their beating in Philippi, I, I, I'm not sure that I'd be so willing uh, to, to get engaged in ministry again. I, I probably would have been discouraged, or I might have just quit, 
Or at least I would have taken a break, a rest for healing. But if you're going to be a church that influences the culture, we have to continually pursue our purpose. Someone asked me the other day, I had a funeral for one of my family members. And one of my family members said, are you enjoying Kentucky? Yes, I am. I love Kentucky. Home of the Wildcats. I mean, you know, I was saved and God brought me out of Tennessee for a reason. I'm here among the big blue. And and I've never been to a racehorse in my entire life, but I watch it sometimes, especially the Kentucky Derby, which I'm proud of. And one of the things I noticed is they put these things on the side of the horse's head. Have you ever seen those? Blinders? Why? So they can't see what's going on here or here. They only see what's there, the finish line, the road in front. I think sometimes you and I, we're we're running this race for Christ. We want to be on purpose. We want to be forward focusing, but we're going, "Uh, what are they saying? Um, I don't know if I should do that. Uh, Ooh, What's going on here? Uh, somebody's yelling at me. My, uh, I've, I've got more honeydew jobs. I, I can't, I can't, I got to get to this game and that game. And we get so distracted by our surroundings, we lose our perspective. Paul's preaching was in the midst of must conflict. It's an athletic term that means a contest, a struggle. He, he used the same words when he wrote in Philippians 1.30, where he pictured the Christian life as an athletic contest that demanded dedication and energy, which is what the Wildcats didn't have yesterday. I didn't get to see the game, but I heard about it. Extremely flat. Flat. You have 12 games. You have 12 Saturdays. You have 12 opportunities. Don't blow one. Hey, church, for such a time as this, you've been given one shot, one life. There's a birth date, and there's your funeral date, and there's a dash in between, and that's our race. How can we ever come out flat? How can we ever not become convinced that our purpose, that our our dash, live your dash, that our dash isn't so important that we can afford to wake up and just be flat? You know, I know it'll be on social media. Someone will put in there, oh, it's Monday again. And we walk around grumpy and, and disheveled and frustrated. And, and, and people who are not saved look at that and go, what's so good about them? Why would I want to go to church where they go to church if that's how they feel about life? I'm not saying you have to be false. I'm not saying you have to be fake. In fact, I love the transparency. You can ask my family who are sitting right there. I'm pretty much the same now as I am tomorrow, as I am on Thursday afternoons, as I am on Saturday mornings. If you don't believe me, ask my wife. She'll tell you. I'm crazy all the time. Not just once in a while. Have a purpose. Have a sense of excitement. Have a a stride in your step that tells people you love them, that you care, that you're not dead or defeated. You know why? Because we serve a God who can't be beaten. We serve a God who's not going to forsake you. We serve a God who is the power of the entire universe. But we live powerless lives because we don't tap into the energy. Paul 
was committed to declare to you the gospel of God that must always be the content of our message. In verse 3, he describes it as his, his appeal. He proclaimed the message of salvation by grace through faith in Jesus Christ, and he received others to Jesus. Not for his glory. He didn't say, come believe in me. He pointed others to Christ. It's not about us, it's about him. Paul stayed focused. He did not allow the distractions of life. And beyond that, Paul didn't seek to receive glory from people. As apostles of Christ, and I've struggled with that in my ministry over the years. Uh, what, what are people saying? How did this message go? I used to ask the students who on Wednesday nights, when I first got started 20, 30 years ago, I would get done and I would say, did anybody get anything out of this? And they were all like, no. I'm glad I wasted my time. Y'all have a great day. Have a great week. And then I begin to focus on what God wanted, not what people wanted. And so sometimes, I, I've even had people say, well, pastor, why don't you preach on giving? That's what we need. I preach what I prepare. And I prepare whatever God's given to me in my heart. Jesus is the only one worthy to follow. Not your staff. Not your friends. Only Jesus. Maybe you heard about this, the uh, tsunami years ago in, in, uh, that hit Thailand. There was a little girl named Tilly. And Tilly's 10 years old. And her and her family, were, they were enjoying a day at the beach. And the, the sea began to bubble and rush away from the shore. And while the adults were curious and they thought it was kind of odd, they didn't know what was going to happen, uh, Tilly was overcome with fear. You see, in school that week, they had just talked about tsunamis. And she began to plead with her family, we've got to go, we've got to go now, I know something bad's coming. It was one of the few places along the shore where no one was killed or seriously hurt. Everyone in that place was evacuated because a 10-year-old girl screamed, we've got to go and we've got to go now. Thousands lost their lives. But she was so desperate to save the people in her sphere of influence that she pleaded and begged until they left. I wonder if you and I as a church, are we so concerned about the lives and spiritual lives of others that we'll do whatever it takes? We will beg with a reckless abandonment. We will ask and then ask again. Well, I've asked my friend to come to church. They won't come. You do it again. You go the extra mile. You go to your neighbor. Not tomorrow, not next month, today, this afternoon. And you go, I care about you all. Please come to church with me. More than that, please accept Christ. Do we feel the pressure? <laughs> and finally, I just read about this not too long ago. There's a crazy thing. I want to give you this, this line. We should be desperate to influence our culture with the love of Christ. I read about this story, and it's crazy. This is a, a new idea of a suitcase. And, and it, it follows you wherever you go. See, it, it plugs into your, your phone. These phones, man, they drive me crazy. So it's a Bluetooth, and it connects to your phone. And wherever you go, the, the, the suitcase follows you. They're getting ready to put them in shopping carts, Pam. Wherever you go, it just follows you around. So I don't have to go, and she hands me things that she takes a picture of for coupons. It drives me crazy. When we go to the Target or Walmart, I get my own card. She gets her card. I pay. She pays. I, have, I even drive my own car. It takes her hours. 
but there's a card coming that will follow you wherever you go. The suitcase will follow you wherever you go. Except if it's the stairs, you have to still pick it up. If it's an escalator, you still have to set it on there. But as far as, as getting on a, on a, on a, in a, you know, a runway or something, you're at the airport, okay, you don't have to jump over luggage or whatever. It follows you. So wherever you go, you can even attach your uh, phone to it, uh, your other gadgets, and it will uh, power them up while you're going. It follows you. Someone is always following you. You're a witness for Christ whether you believe it or not. You can be a good witness or a bad witness, but you are a witness. So who's behind you? Who's watching you at the checkout line the way you speak to your family? Can your neighbors hear you from across the fence scream at your children? Who's behind you? A child? A non-Christian? A friend? A co-worker? So I ask it again. Are you being influenced by the culture or are you making an influence into the culture? Stay the course. Don't get distracted and make a difference in your culture of influence. children will mimic their parents. Your spouses will mimic you. Your friends will begin to shadow what you're doing. You make, an, you make a difference or you don't. When we get to heaven, there will be two questions. At the judgment seat of Christ. Did you know my son you have a relationship with Jesus? And what did you do with that information? Make no mistake about it. It's not enough to get saved. It's not. 
We've been called to make a difference in our culture. What did you know? What did you do with that information? Let's pray. God, help us to understand the difference we can make. Help us to be desperate like that little girl to save her family. As a church on the corner of a downtown, what can we do? How big of an impact can we make? God, you know. The impact could reach thousands and millions of people. It relies on each and every one of us. Forgive us when we have failed you, and we have so many times. And yet you continue to pursue us. You continue to call us to make a difference. Give us the power. Give us the encouragement. Give us a boldness like we've never had before. In Jesus' name, amen.